Hello, and welcome to the Christ Table Podcast, a Bible study for those who struggle with digging into the Bible, but who want to develop a richer faith, one with some meat on its bones. I'm Kevin Young, a media guy turned minister who's passionate about helping others thrive, especially spiritually. If you're unaware, Christ Table is a movement of people returning the church to her roots, in homes, around tables, over food with old friends and fresh conversations. Check us out over at www.christtable.today. And in the meantime, our study continues on the topic of brave conversations. We'll be focusing today on sexual identity as we look deeper into Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. Let's dig in. When we come to this topic of sexual identity, we've we've made some statements about sexual identity. One of the things that we've said is that we are going to be open-minded. We're going to consider other viewpoints, and no matter where we may be on the specter of understanding or what the Bible says about this. We've said we really want to come to the biblical record with an open mind. One of the things that I have intentionally done with this week of the study is to try to go to other places in Scripture rather than the normal places that we go to because people are so um, so divided and so polarized on those places in Scripture that it seems as though it would be difficult for us to make any forward momentum on some of those clobber passages, those six that are in Scripture. So what we've done is uh, tried to find other places in Scripture to help us inform a perspective on sexual identity. You might be surprised to find that there are other places in Scripture that talk about this topic of sexual identity. We have done two of those. I hope that you'll go back and pay attention to those. But today's, I think, is pretty interesting as well as we join Jesus in the middle of a conversation with a group of people who are lobbying on behalf of, shockingly, the occupying force, a Roman centurion. Luke chapter 7, verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people, he returned to Capernaum, which was his home base and his hometown. At that time, the highly valued slave of a Roman officer was sick and near death. Now, the word that's used there for slave is pace, P-A-I-S. We'll come back to that in just a moment because this highly this highly valued slave is going to be very important to the story, and so is that word. All that we know at this point is that he is connected to this Roman officer and that he is sick and near death. When the officer heard about Jesus, he sent some respected Jewish elders to ask Jesus to come and heal the slave. Again, the word pace, P-A-I-S. So they earnestly begged Jesus to help the man. If anyone deserves your help, he does, they say, for he loves the Jewish people and even built a synagogue for us. So Jesus goes with them. But just before they arrive at the house in Capernaum, Capernaum's not a big place, so he may even be within line of sight of the place where the Roman centurion lives. Just before Jesus arrives at the house, the officer sends some friends and says, whoa, 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 uh, Lord, don't, don't trouble yourself by coming to my home, for I'm not worthy of such an honor. In the other Gospels, it's actually the Roman centurion who says this to Jesus, not even worthy to come and meet you. Just Say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say, go and they go or come and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, then they do that. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. 
that amazement to me is interesting there because we have oftentimes seen that line as being his amazement at the faith of the centurion. And I think I think that is true, but I also think that that amazement may be deeper and it is the topic of our conversation today. What is the nature of that amazement? Well, I said that we would talk about this word pace. Pace is the Greek word that is translated to slave in this story, the one who is sick and who is near death. Now, the difficulty with this word pace is that it can mean multiple things and does mean multiple things in scripture. It's used to mean different words and in antiquity, in Greek culture in those days, it also meant one of these words. So it was... um, it was a word that, that got touched by lots of hands and had lots of meanings. It can mean boy, it can mean girl, child, son, daughter, slave, handsome young man, and even beloved. So, obviously, the translators at this place in Scripture translate it to mean slave. Uh, it was not uncommon for Roman centurions to have slaves who took care of the households while they were away in battle or on assignment. So that is a normal thing. The difficulty is, is that did the translators choose the right word here in the right instance for slave? Well, that's an important question. It makes a big difference. Why does it make a big difference? Well, Take, for instance, this passage, which also uses the word pace. When they were bringing children to him, now this is a whole other story, but you should recognize that when they were bringing children to him, or some of your translations may say parents for they, but the original Greek just says they. It doesn't use the word for parents. So while they were bringing children to him, meaning Jesus, that he might touch them, the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. Now, what we see here is this word children. They were bringing children to him. And so we see Jesus arm in arms with toddlers, preschoolers, little kids, touching them, blessing them is likely the idea that's happening here. But the word there is children, right? Well, the word there is pace. And if we go back to our slide here, you'll know that pace can mean child, but it can also mean other things. What's my point? Well, my point here is this, is that where that word children is, is the word, Greek word, pace. Why would the disciples have been upset and rebuked them for bringing children, for parents bringing children to Jesus to bless them? maybe the word should have been slaves. Now, I know that tradition tells us that children, since the time I was a little boy, we were taught that little kids were being brought to Jesus. The disciples didn't like it. That may well be the case. Children were viewed as property, were viewed as being insignificant, and certainly Jesus views those who are seen, who are deemed to be insignificant in culture, to be significant. But it seems to make more sense in the rendering here if it's slaves. If people are bringing slaves, if people are bringing property to Jesus in order to bless them, in order to heal them, or for whatever reason, doesn't say that it's a blessing that he's giving. It just says a touch. We also know that Jesus' healing, Jesus' touch healed as well. 
it would make much more sense for the disciples to be rebuking Jesus if they were bringing slaves to Jesus to interact with, elevating them to the same level as the Jews and, and other free adults. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant. And I think whether it's children or whether it's slaves, Jesus is going to be indignant at anybody being rebuked at being brought to Jesus. Why do I tell you that story? Well, I tell you that story because part of what we need to do is we need to understand that this word is used in different passages in different ways. And the translation that we give into English, whether it's son, daughter, child, slave, beloved, young person, it makes a difference in how we translate this passage. And sometimes it's not clear on the basis of the passage as to what it should be. So, first of all, whenever we're coming to the story of the Roman centurion, was it a son? Was it a slave? Was it a beloved, something that was more than those things? Well, what are some things that we know? Well, first of all, we know that in the time of Jesus, Roman centurions were not allowed to marry from the time of 13 BC all the way until the time of around 197 BC. Roman centurions and many other officers that were near their rank were not allowed to marry, which makes sense. So for the entire lifespan of Jesus, Roman centurions weren't allowed to marry because they might leave them childless. They might fall back on the battlefield and retreat too early, not leave them childless. They might leave fatherless and spouseless. Uh, who's going to take care of their families whenever they're killed on the battlefield? If they're always wanting to be back home, they might retreat too early. So Rome just said, no, you're not allowed to marry. And so Romans centurions would oftentimes have people back home, a pace, a slave, in order to take care of their homes while they were away. So we know that it can't be son as a translation in this passage because this Roman centurion would not have had children. What we also know is that the word pace is used as a diminutive, as kind of a, a slang, a pet name that implied affection to refer to a younger or more youthful partner in a homosexual relationship. We have lots and lots and lots of examples of this in that time period in Greek and Roman culture. And so this was a, a normal word that was used as slang. It wasn't something that was abnormal or something that was rare. It was used as much, if not in some places, more than the word for pace, meaning child or, or meaning slave. So what we have to understand when we read this passage is the life and ministry of Jesus, that entire time period he's alive, falls within a time period where the word pace was used in such a way. So it suggests strongly, or some might even say confirms, that Jesus would have known this word as being synonymous with words that would mean male lover. So why does that make sense? Well, I mean, why does that matter? Well, that matters because what we have to do is we have to kind of use some surrounding clues and culture in order to drill down what is actually going on here. This is something that translators do. Translators make decisions. And oftentimes those decisions that they make in translating it into English are kind of based on their theologies and what they think or what they believe or what the history of the story is. If a translator into English translated the story of Jesus saying, let the little children turn to come to me, don't turn them away. If they translated that as essentially meaning slaves, 
or if they translated that to essentially meaning gay young men, well, there's going to be an uproar in Christendom because the passage hasn't been understood in that way during anybody's lifetime, even though that is a perfectly understandable, reasonable, and maybe even more likely translation of that story of Jesus turning people away. But their theologies and fear of an uproar uh, would lend them probably to not do that. But we we can do the research and we can look into the words and we can make our own decisions, educated guesses, or even more than educated guess, uh, an educated near surety on some of these passages ourselves as well. So let's set aside Jesus and the little children and let's head back into this passage. Now, Matthew uses this story as well and tells the story. Whenever we see a story of multiple gospels, it's extremely helpful because it helps us understand because Oftentimes, they'll use different language to tell the story, and so it helps us clarify what the meaning is. Or sometimes we know because of the way the person tells other stories exactly how to translate the one at hand. And so because we have this story both in Mark and in Matthew and a piece of it in John, we actually can rule out lots of other things because of that. Matthew includes this story, and Matthew also uses the word pace in order to describe the young slave, the Roman centurion's person who's back at home, who's sick and near death. Why is that important that he uses the word pace? Well, that doesn't help us clarify it very much. But what does help us clarify it is that Matthew actually precisely uses other words for son and precisely uses another word for slave. That's important. That's important because Matthew often uses the word doulos when he is referring to a slave, and he often, if not always, uses the word huos to mean son when he's referring to a biological child. So for Matthew, the words doulos and huos are not synonymous with pace. So we can actually get far down the road here in our journey of discovery in this situation because Matthew doesn't use doulos, doesn't use slave for the Roman centurion's person back home. And because he doesn't use huos, which we know he probably wouldn't have because the Roman centurion would not have had a child. It was not allowed. But Matthew, we know, uses a different word for son and a different word for slave in multiple other places in his gospel. So the fact that he uses slave is a strong indication that Matthew did not intend to say son or slave in this passage So when he says, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof in Matthew, but only say the word in my pace will be healed, we can likely, most assuredly, almost completely take off the table that Matthew was intending to communicate slave or that Matthew was intending to communicate son because he would have used a different word. That really only leaves us one other option here, that youthful male lover will be healed. That is the most likely outcome to translating this in Matthew, which means since it's the same story in Luke, it's the same person, the likely, not son, not slave, but youthful male lover in Matthew. Why would a Roman centurion have done this? Why would the Jews have seemed okay with bringing this person to Jesus? Well, there are multiple answers for that, maybe 
Maybe the Jews just didn't care. Did you ever think about that? Maybe they weren't as uptight about sexual identities as, as we were. The other thing is, is maybe it was just normal in Roman army culture for this to happen. Or we also know from this story that this Roman centurion had done a lot to raise money in order to build a synagogue in the city. And so he was well loved. People tend to look past things that they may, they may not be fans of if somebody gives them something like a place of worship. This Roman centurion was, was maybe smart. Truth of the matter is, though, we know, we know that this happened in the Roman army. We know that this happened a lot because the Roman army had this decree that you could not marry. You've got all these sex-starved soldiers who are out there in the Roman army. What do you do about it? Well, it was actually common practice. In fact, there were battalions of the Roman army that were essentially homosexual battalions in the Roman army. They knew this. There would be a younger soldier paired with an older soldier who would essentially be taken under their wing, would be essentially the word pace, would be a slave, but would also be a lover, would be something that was both of those things. And so the word pace would actually be truthful to be translated both slave and both lover because they were kind of indentured to the Roman army and indentured to uh, this centurion or this older figure in the army. And then eventually they would win their freedom by participating in this process. Now you say that's crazy, but we have a ton of clear evidence, factual evidence that this is actually what happened from Plutarch in the first century CE. I just pulled one. It was called the sacred band. This group was the sacred band of 300 chosen men composed of young men attached to each other by personal affection, a band cemented by friendship, grounded upon love, is never to be broken and invincible. Since the lovers ashamed to be based inside of their beloved and the beloved before their lovers willingly rush into danger for the relief of one another. So what this essentially is saying is, is the Roman army found that whenever they allowed these male-male unions and relationships to happen within the army and whenever they actually made it a part of the army, it actually it caused people to fight more strongly. They fought for each other and they would willingly rush into danger in order to protect the other soldier, the younger, the older soldier whom they loved. Just giving you history here. So whenever the report comes from the Roman centurion saying, don't come over to my house, stop right there, Jesus. Even though you may be within eyeshot of where I live, don't come any closer. Jesus was amazed. Where is his amazement from? I think his amazement is from multiple things. His amazement is from the faith of the centurion that Jesus can just say it and it will happen. I think his amazement is probably that this centurion is reaching out for help from Jesus, a Roman army officer reaching out to a Jew that says something about the army officer and says something about Jesus. And I think there is a level of amazement, too, at the situation of this pace, this what is likely, what is probably, what is almost most assuredly a young male lover at home. So turning to the crowd that was following him, Jesus said, and I love this line, knowing what we now know. I tell you, I haven't seen faith like this 
in all of Israel. He lifts up this Roman centurion who is living in what we might consider today a questionable living arrangement and who many would say today is an ungodly biblical arrangement. God himself in Jesus looks at this and says nothing about it. In fact, he commends a non-Jew for the faith. And so when the officer's friends returned to the house, they found what? The pace, the young male lover, was completely healed. What a story. This Bible study on Brave Conversations is brought to you by Christ Table. If you'd like to join us in the study, there's an easy-to-follow guide in the show notes, and we'd love to have you join us. You know, 65 million adults in the United States have dropped out of church, and that number will grow by 2.7 million before the end of this year. We here at Christ Table are committed to doing something about that. We're committed to creating a world where the table is once again the center of the home, the center of family life, and especially the center of faith formation again. Our mission, that's simple, to help people eat freely and drink deeply of life and of faith. Find out more about us by going to www.christtable.today. And when you get over to christtable.today, be sure to sign up for our email list there. And for those who choose to donate, I've got a resource box that I'd love to send you in the mail as my thanks. And trust me, you're going to like it. By the way, the podcast is available because of the generous donations of our listeners and the incredible community of people who call Christ Table their spiritual home. Join us for our next episode as we continue our conversation on sexual identity. And if you'd like to watch these Bible studies live, there's more information on our website about that as well, www.christtable.today. Thanks so much for listening. We wouldn't be here without you. And until next time, I'm Pastor Kevin Young, and this is the Christ Table Podcast.